Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom, he, him, and Don Lister, she, her. A podcast from Anahata Yoga Centre, where we hold insightful, healing, and nurturing conversations with inspiring people from healing yoga and well-being communities. Enjoy our podcast. Hello, this is Dawn Lister, she, her. Today we are joined by or with Tracy Stanley, who is author of the wonderful Radiant Rest, a book about yoga nidra for deep relaxation and awakened clarity. We're very, very excited to talk to Tracy about all things yoga nidra um, and the uh, the industry in which we are all working in together and how yoga nidra can support us better. So welcome, Tracy. It is an absolute thrill and a delight to have you with us. Thank you so much, Don and Daniel. Really happy to be here. My pronouns are she, her. Uh, and I am coming to you from the Tewa land, very close to the Tisuke Reservation uh, in northern New Mexico. Sounds wonderful. I imagine you're getting better weather than we are right now. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Have, having lived in England, I would say probably so. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Where did you live in England? I lived in Battersea. Oh, really? I lived in Battersea. Do you remember what road you lived in? Oh, I couldn't remember. It was about almost 20, over 20 years ago, but I loved it. I was there for six months and it was amazing. Well, you know, I was in Battersea at exactly the same time. So it was just, no, I'm lying. It was just before that. It was before my kids came along, just before that. But it's a great place, isn't it? It's so cool. It's great. Yeah, it's a very cool place. Ah, so we are, as always, joined by the wonderful Daniel Grimm. Thank you so much for being here and being the co-host, Daniel. Well, thank you, Dawn. Thank you, Tracy, for being here. Um, my pronouns are he, him. Um, and yeah, it's really lovely to be here. Um, how are you doing, Dawn? How's things in your life? Well, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm feeling a bit like exhausted as I was we were just chatting about this earlier weren't we I feel like I've been hit by a bus most of the time I'm still struggling with I think it's long COVID my kids seem to think it's inherent laziness and I'm not joking <laughs> just go to the gym mom you'll feel better I'm like no I can barely put a pillowcase on some days so I'm I'm really struggling with my rest um I'm, I'm not feeling rested and my uh, my health just doesn't feel good so I'm really enjoying my yoga nidra practice, which so this is all very timely because genuinely, if I do a practice, I feel completely different afterwards. I'm not saying it's curing me, but it's supporting me massively. We're also trying to move house, which is exhausting because I keep having to tidy up and I never tidy up. So that's no fun. But uh, yeah, apart from that, good. Lots of exciting, interesting projects going on, haven't we, Daniel? But that's for another day. What about you? How are things with you? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. Um, I just realised actually, this is this is episode one of season two, and we haven't Ooh. marked that. I just realised that because <laughs> we're doing this slightly out of sync. But um, yeah, that feels really exciting. We've actually got a really, really great lineup this year, starting with Tracy and 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 moving into some really, really 
amazing people working in our industry and around our industry that are, are, are really doing some quite groundbreaking work. So I'm really excited for this season. Um, and that's why we, that's why actually the format's a bit different, isn't it? Because we're we're adding some titles at the start and the end, whereas we didn't have that before, did we? We just recorded it straight up. <laughs> um, but no, I'm I'm really well actually. Um, so I was thinking actually, because this is season one, I should always sorry season two episode one. I should really talk about TV because that is what I talked about most of season one as well, didn't I? <laughs> so my recommendation that I would encourage everyone to watch if they haven't is a program called The White Lotus, which um, is just the most brilliant program I've seen in a long time. Um, it's very timely because it's very much about what is currently going on in all parts of our world around, you know, people taking advantage of other people. And, and misuse of power. And it's about a, a, a holiday resort in Hawaii. And it's just a week in this holiday resort. And it just shows all the different dynamics of all the different people that are guests and people that work in this resort. And it is absolutely hilarious, very, very poignant, and probably has some of the best comedy moments that I've seen quite a while in a TV programme. <laughs> so I'd highly I, recommend I, it. I watched the first episodes and I swear to God the teenage girls were my teenage girls like they were exactly that rude as those teenage girls were on the um program and my husband and I just looked at each other and we're like oh my god it's the girls I mean thank god they're 20 old now so they don't behave that way um they're they're rude in an entirely different new and much more sophisticated way but back then that's exactly how the teenagers were it was it's brilliant I need to persevere with it I'll persevere I'll persevere with it I've not been watching anything much on tv except the news and that's depressing me so I need to stop and start watching comedy again have you seen White Lotus Tracy I have I have seen it um it is very well written um, there are some shockingly hilarious scenes in the, in the where I was like, "Wow, they really went there." Okay, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and and at the same time, it's a really important social commentary, as you were saying, um, just about abuse of power um, and you know systemic racism and people's lands being stolen. And yeah, I mean, it's a whole. It it's. I think that um, you know. I think I read a story that Mike White, who's the writer um was called by netflix that they needed a show immediately that they could film on location in a covid friendly environment and he wrote that script or the the whole series in like six weeks um wow. so it's pretty amazing for something that was written in six weeks as a former film producer and somebody who worked on development and a lot of movie scripts i i give him credit for being able to, to pull that absolutely. off absolutely yeah. i mean you know it's i think for me, Jennifer Coolidge is just, she steals the show. We, yeah. we, Dawn and I live in a town that she would probably quite well represent in certain oh, aspects. You, is, she the one, <laughs> is she the one that was in Legally Blonde? Yeah. No, she, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, she yeah, was, she was. Mm -hmm. And she, she did was the really famous that. for being um, um, Stifler's mum in um, 
the band camp film. I can't remember what it's called now. Was it American Pie? Yeah, American yeah. Pie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I still have the Rolodex of movies in my brain somewhere back there, apparently. <laughs> well, we've got a great recommendation then, but I would recommend that you all got off the TV and picked up Tracy's book definitely and do some yoga nidra because actually we often just drop in front of the telly to relax but what i've really discovered is in the same way that mindfulness has supported me through very challenging times throughout my life yoga nidra in a different way has is supporting me through a a new phase in my life again in a way that slobbing out in front of the tv when i'm exhausted doesn't do because obviously television is going to stimulate me yoga nidra does something quite different and in the evening in the middle of the night when I'm waking up and I can't sleep because whatever's going on I'll stick on a yoga nidra now rather than listen to Russell Brand which is another thing that I used to do and get all ranty with him in the middle of the night about whatever was going wrong in the world but yoga nidra is it sends me back to sleep and I wake up feeling better yeah I love that you're sharing that because um I've been on a social media uh, sabbatical for the last, uh, just a little bit over a month and it's getting ready to end in a couple of days. And this idea of television, right? Being a way to relax. I think it's really interesting because the CEO of Netflix actually said that sleep is their biggest competitor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, if you think about that, it's really, you know, watching television is n- is not necessarily relaxing because there's so your energy is still being taken outside of you, and it's literally mm-hmm. the exact opposite of sleep and practices like yoga nidra and meditation, mm-hmm. where your senses are being drawn inward, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not focused on the outer world, but you're more focused on the inner world. So, I definitely want to second the motion to let go of watching so much television. Um, and and really dive into real um, deep rest. Yeah, can you can you tell us? Let's let's, let's get um, let's dig a little deeper now. Let's let's find out a little bit about you. Can you tell us a little about about yourself? How you got into yoga nidra? What it means to you? Let's let's start with start with that. Mm, that's a long story. I'm not a spring chicken, so I'll try to make it as short as possible. Um, You know, I found myself in my very early 20s in a state of spontaneous meditation one day when I was just watching the sunset or the sunrise, I should say. And it was a moment where I knew something really profound happened, didn't know what it was. That led me to meditation, which led me to yoga. Uh, which led me to some uh, tantric teachers who um, introduced me to the practice of deep relaxation, which reminded me of that profound moment sitting on the balcony watching the sunrise. And in that moment, I kind of knew that I had touched on something really profound that was very healing because I felt just from the first practice of deep relaxation, I felt healed in some Mm. way. I knew that something inside me had healed. I knew that something that was normally concealed was being revealed, which was like this stillness and this peace. And I was in an industry at that time because I was working in film that everything was chaotic. 
And the more Mm. that I started practicing deep relaxation, the more I noticed that I could remain calm in the midst of turmoil um, and that I was more clear and more able to figure out problems. And in fact, this idea of resting um, and relaxation was actually something that made me more productive when I was in the waking state. Right. And so I have words for this now that I didn't have 20 years ago when I was first introduced to yoga nidra, but it was like a intuitive thing. And at the same time, I was also um, teaching on the weekends and early mornings because I had a little donation only yoga studio that was just like a community space for people to be able to practice. And when I started sharing these practices of deep relaxation, um, and later yoga nidra practices, people, that's what people wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, people would come in and they would ask, oh, are we going to do yoga nidra? They weren't, were not asking, are we going to do handstand today? Or are we going to do ashtavakrasana today? And mm-hmm. so I started to shift my teaching so that I was teaching still um, at that time, I was teaching kind of very dynamic Uh, asana-based classes, but they were starting with meditation and chanting, and it was almost like a third, a third, and then a third of yoga nidra. And what I realized eventually was that yoga nidra to me seemed to be more transformative when people were doing it cumulatively along with um, Mm self-inquiry, because I started doing that. And I started realizing, oh, I'm actually able to receive some sort of wisdom or understanding or epiphanies or creativity and inspiration that's coming from this practice. And some of the teachers that I was studying with, they were not allowing for time for any kind of processing or any kind of spaciousness kind of after the practice. And so I started doing my own journaling practices afterwards and realizing that this was like a wealth of information of remembering things from the past, being able to see how those things from the past were connecting to patterns that I was currently in. Um, So to answer your question, um, once I started to move away from the film industry and more into teaching yoga full-time, one of my goals was always like, Yoga Nidra is like the main show. If I'm doing any kind of practices that are movement-based, it's to serve yoga nidra. It's to serve Mm -hmm. the the ability for people to rest deeply because that's what we need. We can go to a million different places to find movement or to find exercise or to find, you know, there's a million ways that we can connect with our body. Um, There's not a lot of ways that I know of that are being widely taught where we can actually connect with the knowledge that comes from sleep mm. and dreams. Mm. And so I felt like it was really important to amplify that. Um, the more that I saw how transformative it was for me and other people that I worked with. Mm. Um, and I also think that it's a way to combat what you even shared at the beginning as your children thinking about inherent laziness and that the way for you to solve something that where where rest is required might be be going to the gym to go and do. And so we have this like real society has given us this real shame 
I feel like around non-doing and we need to shift this thing of that non-doing is in some way makes us less than um, or in some way makes us less worthy. It's really interesting you use the word shame because yesterday after I was sitting on the bed, I've had a rest because I'm doing that every day for a few hours and I sat on the edge of the bed and I thought I feel shameful. I actually feel shameful. I'm resting in the middle of the day at my age. I'm only 50 for goodness sake. And I'm and 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 then there was another part of my brain going, but you're ill. You're ill. Like you're not choosing because you don't want to go and do the dishes or go and see a client. And to be frank, if I that was my choice, that should be okay as well. But there's that, I guess what you're talking about, that kind of feeds into the self-inquiry because I had enough wisdom to know that as that feeling came up, that I needed to do something with that and like, and sit with it and feel it and try to get into an understanding of what that's really about and what's not being said. Could you speak a little bit more about, you know, perhaps that word shame and in relation to this non-doing and, and, and tying in with self-inquiry, if you feel that's something you could discuss? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you just illustrated it perfectly because normally the normal way that we do things, right? Unless we have spent time with mindfulness practices, unless we've spent time with Svadhyaya, self-study, if we've spent time with doing Vichara practices, is that we just push it away, mm-hmm. right? We feel the shame and then the shame just sits there and we move on to the next Instagram scroll or the next Netflix thing so that we don't have to think about it, mm-hmm. right? And so that is really what these apps have been designed for is to make us move away from our own knowing. Because once you feel that emotion, whatever that emotion is, it's, I, I believe that it's there for us to look at as opposed to bury it so that it just keeps getting mm. bigger and bigger and bigger until something happens that you have no choice but to mm. look at it. And so you know, that I think is part of our society at large is that, you know, there's a lot that is driven by shame or by fear. A lot of that is like advertising, the fear of missing out. Um, There's so much to that. And I think that there is a value in being able to say no, Mm I I'm, I'm ill today, or I have an illness and I want to heal. And so right now my Dharma is healing. What can I do that is Dharmic towards my healing? Mm -hmm. If my, if it's Dharmic for me to rest three times a day for 20 minutes a day, then that's, I'm doing my Dharma. Nobody Mm -hmm. else has the right to try to impose this feeling that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing because you don't know what my Dharma is in this moment. I think it's really interesting as well something you said Tracy about how you were experiencing those early yoga nidras that they were almost kind of tapped into the back of a practice that was maybe expected of what yoga was at that time and there is a huge expectation now around there being a vast amount of physical aspect to the class and then you might get to lie down at the end and someone might talk you through a story for five minutes and you know that similar to you that was my kind of way of sort of 
first experience in yoga nidra um but then i had the opportunity to have a yoga nidra de delivered by uma dims mortulli and it was probably about 10 years ago and i just remember having this fundamental feeling of safety which i had never experienced before i've grown up a queer man um i experienced certain things in my in my earlier life that made me feel very unsafe in public spaces and quite often in you know places on my own as well within my own mind and it was the first time that I felt actually held by a practice and when I read your book it made me feel like that and it, mm -hmm. I just it, it it was it it, it embodied the need for it to be okay whatever it is that you experience and i think you know so often the expectation of turning up at a yoga class and you you thinking it's going to be x y and z and for something like yoga nidra to be delivered and the profound effect that it can have on someone can be life-changing it really can and i suppose when you were writing the book, what was it that you wanted people to take away from that book? Mm. That's such a great question. Um, and really what I wanted people to take away is that they had the ability to cultivate their own relationship with Yoga Nidra in all of her forms, whether it be the technique, whether it be the state of consciousness, whether it be the goddess, and that's what I really wanted, because I think when I was first introduced to Yoga Nidra, it was only introduced to me as a technique. It was introduced to me as a technique that this is how it's done. You have to follow the script this way. And if you don't do it this way, it's not right. If you don't set up your body this way and lay on the floor with, with you know, you're lucky if you get a little serape blanket underneath you, you're, you're, that's how you do it. And, you know, that, first of all, is not accessible to everyone, right? And it was a very masculine approach to the teaching. And there were many things that were left out, such as Yoga Nidra, the goddess, such as Yoga Nidra as the state of consciousness, such as even the sound of Aum, right? Mm -hmm. And how that can bring us into this place. And so... Once I started to kind of go off script in my own practice and I stopped listening to recordings all of the time and I started to kind of self-guide, which was actually a complete and total accident that I started self-guiding myself. When I did that, I was like, whoa, wait a second. There's something more to this practice. There's something more to this like inner world. And then being introduced by uh, Sri Devi Bringi to the goddess Yoga Nidra, even though I had read the Devi Mahatma before, and even though I had sung the names of the Devis, singing Nidra, Ya Devi Sarva Shu, right? Nidra Rupena Samsita, it never clicked in because that's not how I learned. And so it was like, oh, there's this whole other thing that's happening. There's this whole other way of being held that there is this, you know, feminine divine force that is holding the space for me to rest 
who is presiding over the technique that is the journey to the state of consciousness that is yoga nidra. That was a complete reframe, but I had to uh, do that kind of on my own. And then I started to be guided to the right texts and the right teachings and the right teachers who were all, it was like a puzzle kind of being put together that I feel like is still being put together. Cause I don't think this <laughs> the journey of yoga nidra is like lifetimes. Um, and so for me, I think for the book, I try to allow each one of these practices that are in the book and each one of these chapters to be a portal that might assist someone in finding something new for themselves, because I know that it's not the same for everyone, right? Each one practice is not going to get everybody there. Um, I had a friend recently who's an author and he, he asked me, he said, why did you put so many practices in the book? And I it was like, because we all, we need to have as many ways as possible to experience this place of deep rest. And also, you know, some of the teachers that I've worked with have not been generous with their teachings. They've been actually sometimes very stingy with the teachings because it's like you want someone to sign up for the next workshop or to get the advanced level. And for me, I just felt like, I'm inspired by generosity because I know the goddess is generous. Something that was really apparent to me that come across was actually half of the book is about preparation. <laughs> and, and, and I, I've, I've, I felt that preparation is such an integral part of you being able to accept the nidra practice in however it is delivered or however you hear it and you know dawn and i both have the fortune of having a yoga studio that is accessible for people who may need to not lie down they may be traumatized, they may be disabled, they may have certain things that don't allow them to lie comfortably. And I really love the fact that you spent a lot of time setting out that Nidra doesn't need to be done lying down. <laughs> it can be wherever you feel comfortable. And if you need to be looking at the door while you're doing that is perfectly okay. And um, yeah, that for me was just, it felt like, Finally, someone put in print <laughs> what's been <laughs> rattling around my head for a long time. <laughs> so <thank> yeah, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I appreciate hearing that. I mean, there, there's a teaching from Swami Veda Bharati where he really talks about this idea that when we, you know, we're not really teaching yoga nidra, right? We're teaching the preparation of yoga nidra. And, and the preparation to receive it. And, and my experience has been, you can't make anything happen. Just like we know you can't sit in meditation and make some mystical experience happen, right? It descends by grace. And so I also feel that the, my early experiences with what was being called yoga nidra at the time um, were really more of deep relaxation techniques. And so I think that I spent as a student 
probably a decade doing deep relaxation techniques, which prepared me to receive the grace of yoga nidra, even though I thought at the time I was doing yoga nidra, I was merely preparing. And so that to me is like, yeah, let's just say that we're preparing and in the preparation, we can still be resting. We can still have deep experiences. Can I just start? This is going to sound like such a simplistic question, but there will be people on our podcast who don't know what yoga nidra is. They have no idea what yoga nidra is. They won't have encountered it. This is going to be a new word to them. You're speaking about the state of yoga nidra. Could you just, in a few words, maybe explain what what it is? If you've never done it before, what what's going to happen in a yoga nidra practice? What does it what does it actually mean? Yeah, that's that's also a great great question. So yoga nidra, um, the word nidra is often translated as sleep. Um, it's often talked about as sleep with a slight trace of awareness. Um, the word ni, nidra also comes from two words of ni and dru, ni meaning the void and dru meaning to draw forth from, right? And so this practice of yogic sleep is really this practice where we consciously enter into a state of deep sleep. We consciously move into a state of deep sleep. It's a place where we can allow our body, our physical body to fall asleep. We can allow our mind to fall asleep, but consciousness stays awake and aware. And so when we think about these, uh, this idea of the state of yoga nidra, we have to think about the other states of consciousness. So the waking state, the dreaming state, the deep sleep state. And then there's a fourth state that's known as Turiya. And that state is said to be um, like Samadhi. You know, it's, a, it's, there's, there's other teachings that say that there's like seven stages of Samadhi, but we can say it's like Samadhi. And so Yoga Nidra is also referred to as this place that is like peace beyond words. When you're in this state of yoga nidra, you're in this state and maybe possibly the portal towards this fourth state of consciousness, which is a place that can't really be described. It's a place that a lot of poets have tried to explain or describe. And I think the great sages give you a taste of it, of what it can feel like, but it's not something that you really know until you kind of come back from it. You know, um, it's almost like the void is full and it's empty at the same time. <laughs> um, and yet we allow ourselves to have this wakefulness through this journey while the body is sleeping. And so to the, a person who is looking from the outside, they might look at you in the, in the practice of yoga nidra and they would say, oh, they're sleeping. But if, you're, were, if you were hooked up to an EEG, there may be something that says, oh, you're in this deep, deep state of Delta. And yet then you can come back and you can say, oh, this was the song that was playing on the radio while I was sleeping. And this is what you were talking about while I was sleeping. And this is some, some of these um, experiments that were done in the 70s at the Menager Institute. and also then replicated later at the Center of Noetic Sciences with Swami Veda Bharati. And then with other, there was another experiment in, or in Copenhagen. And there's lots of research now that's being done by other um, yoga nidra um, uh, 
teachers and organizations around this. So, you know, yoga nidra is done in a comfortable, supported position, right? The asana of yoga nidra is one where the body is fully supported by the earth, fully supported by whatever needs to rise you up from the earth so that you can feel comfortable, whether that's a chair, whether that's lying on the floor, whether it's sideline, there's so many different ways and it's different for every person. So the minute that we start to say, oh, you have to be like this or you're not doing it, I'm saying no. <laughs> you know, there, there's, we've, we've got to discover, and this is, I think, one of the beautiful things about the preparation is that it's the ultimate self-study because we really have to understand and know our body. Like, what, what does my body need today? What support do I need today? Because it may be different than it was yesterday. It may be something that you've never seen anybody else demonstrate, but we have to have permission to be able to find that so that we can have the opportunity to be able to deeply relax. That was such a beautiful um, explanation. I'm so thank, thank you so much for, um, for your words. I, I'm just pondering as I was listening to you, do you feel like at the moment in society, and the world that we live in that we really need because this is how i feel i feel like we need the rest more than we need anything else because i notice in my classes that most people seem to want almost half the class to be the relaxation the nidra phase versus you know in my many many years of teaching the stronger more dynamic practices it feels like people are arriving in the studio worn out absolutely their nervous system's done and they just want to they just want to stop is that would you agree that, that that's kind of what you're seeing in the world yourself yeah I mean I think that when I was teaching um in person before the pandemic it's definitely what I was seeing um you know because I would I would arrive uh, many times to teach a festival or at a conference and there would be students that I didn't know but the energy that I would see when I was when I when they would walk into the room would be one of exhaustion mm. um, especially at some festivals where people feel like they have to get in as many asana classes or as in, in as many classes as possible right to get your the money's worth um, and because the classes that I was was teaching, you know, when I was asked to teach at different conferences and festivals, it's like, I'm going to teach yoga nidra. I'm not going to teach any anything else. So it's basically yoga nidra or meditation, and that's it. And I think in, in the beginning, there was a hesitancy um, because there weren't a lot of people teaching yoga nidra at festivals, right? And so there was a hesitancy to be able to like, well, who's going to want to go to a class and lie down for like 45 minutes? And then what happened was those classes were the most popular classes. So I got to see in real time what the desire was that people knew that they needed to rest. And I think it's been amplified by the pandemic that when we were actually forced as all the different countries had their different schedule of lockdown in the very beginning, that when we were forced into non-doing, that we actually got to realize how tired we really were. 
mm. how much rest we really needed. It was like, all of a sudden, everything slowed down. And it was like, oh, I'm really exhausted. Mm. I really feel unwell. These mm. things that, you know, I normally would push off to the side, just like the shame, right? Mm. I would push off to the side that I'm exhausted because I got to get things done. Things have to happen. I got to make it happen. Now, all of a sudden, I get to sit with what is. And I think a lot of things came forward from the sitting with what is. Mm. And I was just thinking as well um, that even within the yoga world, we like to think of it as maybe people within our industry, I don't like to call it an industry, but I can't think of a better world word, our community, that's a better word, within our community. You know, there's an idea that maybe we're a bit more switched on, we're in tune with our bodies. But I think even as you as you were saying stuff about the festivals, there's that idea of doing something, isn't there? That even within the practice, there's a doing and a trying to achieve. And there's not, you know, we should know, and I don't like that word either, but we should understand that within an asana, we're looking for our edge and our limit and our capacity with that exertion. We're looking for that place of effortless ease within our body. And the asana should take us to that place and we should be having that inner dialogue and I don't know that that's taught or understood fully so when the people are in class even if they are got this really beautiful practice and they're doing that I don't know that that self-inquiry is happening so this introduction of a yoga nidra practice alongside the mindfulness and the meditation I think they kind of all sit hand in hand for me a little bit you might feel differently I don't know they're giving us an opportunity to do what the practice is really about 100%. I mean, all we need to do is just go back to the yoga sutras mm. and refer to how the practices or how the asana is to be done. Mm. And what is the purpose of asana? Mm. And, and, the, and there lies, in my opinion, the problem is mm. that we don't, we're not teaching the yoga sutras. So we, you know, Daniel just talked about this idea of the preparation for yoga nidra that, you know, we should be talking about the yoga sutras as a preparation before we even do a single asana, mm -hmm. right? But we don't, we're, our society wants to get it fast. It wants to be convenient. And so do, you know, are you really going to go through the yamas and the niyamas <laughs> and spend two months? you know, contemplating the yamas and the knee. I mean, we could contemplate those yamas and niyamas for the rest of our lives mm. without doing a single, you know, posture. Mm. So yes, I, I, I agree. And I think that, um, you know, when I have taught teachers in the past, I've tried um, that. And when I'm saying teachers, I'm talking about asana teachers. Um, I try to incorporate those concepts in. You know, I was lucky enough that my first teachers incorporated those in. So it was already a part of my awareness um, to think about the yoga sutras, think about meditating on the infinite, to think about the sukha, the ease and, and good space, to think about the steadiness, to think about the effortlessness. And those things get have gotten lost because yoga has turned into an exercise routine. Mm -hmm. It's turned into a way to you know, keep your yoga arms and your yoga butt in some, in some places. And in other mm -hmm. places, I think the, the pendulum has swung in the, op the complete opposite direction um, where there is more focus on the yoga sutras. There is more focus on philosophy. There is more focus on 
um, things being accessible. There is more focus on the fact that we all have trauma and that mm -hmm. that can't be ignored when we're practicing yoga because these practices bring up deep um, samskaras and vasanas that we're not aware of, that we we're, we walk around not being aware of. So um, I don't know if that answered your question, but I agree with you that yes, you know, we, we need to bring more focus to um, what these practices were originally intended for as, as well as we can to our own understanding. I was just going to share just a little bit about so kind of how my practice evolved through lockdown. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm generally a very active person and, you know, the activity has, has allowed my mind to get quieter so I could then rest. And I noticed I'd, I'd kind of been studying I'd been looking at the um, Vishoka meditation for quite a long time which is kind of a, a practice that the Himalayan Institute um, have made quite popular in recent times and I'd had a long-standing um, mantra meditation and practice of yoga nidra and I just felt what I was doing in my mantra and yoga nidra meditation, it felt like I kind of needed something more. And that Vishoka meditation kind of sort of slipped in. So that has now kind of become my meditation practice along with a short amount of mantra at the end and then yoga nidra every day. And looking back from say two or three years ago when actually that would have felt quite difficult for me to be that quiet and that still for two amounts of time per day suddenly I feel the meditation is supporting the yoga nidra the yoga nidra supports the meditation and my need for activity has lessened yeah I love that you're sharing that um so two things I would say is I had the probably opposite uh, pandemic experience. So in my experience, because I had been, uh, I had just turned in my manuscript for Radiant Rest uh, on February 28th. And I was in Costa Rica finishing writing it and came back to the States. And then I kind of had this intuition that there was something that was like, we were gonna be locked down. Um, and I had been doing lots of yoga nidra while I was writing, because that's part of my creative process. I started to get this feeling that I was going to need to be strong, physically strong for some reason. And so I started to do more movement based. Um, so I was doing a lot of dancing um, for like 15 minutes, 20 minutes of dancing and um, other physical exercise, you know, hiking a little bit longer than I normally would, up more inclines than I normally would, and then practicing yoga nidra. And what I would say is um, that I think that served me well because I, you know, of all the things that that began to happen um, in America with George Floyd being murdered 
and mm -hmm. all of the other injustices that were coming to the surface that I felt like that my body needed to have that strength. I didn't know that at the time, but once everything was happening, I was like, oh, this is why I need to be to be physically strong for, for some reason, to be able to hold this as an energetic container. Um, and at the same time, what I love is that the, uh, the Vishoka meditation that you're talking about all of the different steps, whether it's the training and the diaphragmatic breathing, whether it's the Aharana meditation practice, whether it's the 75 breaths, it, it literally is a beautiful combination to, or I would say it's like, it feels to me like a sister practice to Yoga Nidra. Um, and so um, I think they both feed each other is that the depth of yoga nidra practice feeds the, the Vishoka and Vishoka also feeds um, the, the meditation practice as well, or the mm -hmm. nidra practice. So I'm not surprised that you're, that you're sharing that. I, I love that. Isn't it so interesting? We've both kind of touched upon actually we heard something within mm -hmm. our consciousness or subconsciousness that something needed to change and I think for me what the most fundamental thing about what I've learned from my yoga practice is not to be afraid of that change to go with where we feel we're being drawn to and I think yoga nidra for me has built that capacity within me to not be scared to be able to follow that pathway whatever whatever it is that's coming up yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what I feel like you're speaking to right now is this cultivation of a relationship with our inner teacher, which mm -hmm. is also, you asked earlier, what did I hope people would leave with? That is it, is that, you know, in a time when uh, gurus and teachers are left and right being revealed to have had inappropriate relationships and maintaining these inappropriate power dynamics with their students, um, that this is more important now than ever to cultivate this relationship with the inner teacher. And so you both have talked about it in two different ways. It's like Don talked about this moment of shame, of feeling the shame of like, oh, and then being able to inquire, right, within what is that about? And then we're talking about like, oh, something needs to change. But my teacher didn't tell me that something needed to change. My inner teacher has said, pause, there's something that needs to shift. And that's a wisdom that we need to learn to uh, listen to. And when we have outer teachers who do not point us in the direction of our inner teacher and actually point to themselves as the source of knowledge and the source of authority, I think that you should run in the opposite direction because mm -hmm. as far as I understand it is that the teachings of Tantra and the teachings of yoga are really about um, developing this kind of discernment, developing our relationship with buddhi. Um, and so I think it's, in, it's important. And that, that to me is kind of the, the essence of radiant rest is yoga nidra as a portal to inner knowing. And if we think about this sutra 138, right. And that talks about the fact that the mind can be stabilized through the knowledge of or the knowledge gained by sleep and dreams that includes yoga nidra 
You know, as I was listening to you guys talk about the uh, the inner wisdom, the inner teacher, I, ha- I kind of pondered, do you feel that at the same time when that happens, we have the capacity to tap into the universal teacher? You know, because I kind of feel like sometimes when we we stop, certainly for myself, when I stop and I've stopped and rested and I've had this illness and it's kind of worn me down, as well as what I'm feeling in my physicality, I know that I'm also feeling the tiredness and the burden of everyone who's gone before me in my lineage. I feel that. I feel the weight of it. I feel the tiredness that I've carried because I haven't perhaps, you know, resolved some of the stuff that's gone on for me within my with my own situation and throughout our family history, perhaps. But then there's also the the universal tiredness of society that we're all feeling. And I think we're all connected into that. We can't not be. We might not be aware that we are, but we are connected because we're a living, breathing organism that, you know, expands and contracts in each moment together. So I wondered, what's your take on, you know, the practice? Do you feel like as well as our interpersonal teacher, is there something deeper that is happening beyond that, is tapping into the, the universal teacher and our our universal experience as beings who've incarnated time and again, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're speaking to, um, in my understanding, is also two things. It's like one, you you're tapping into this connection with your ancestors and your lineage, mm-hmm. right? Which is a which is another form of knowing, mm-hmm. right? The ancestors hold our true name, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a way of, it's another way of knowing. And so it is not uncommon, or at least it hasn't been uncommon in my um, sharing Yoga Nidra with students, that they begin to become aware of ancestors and storylines from their lineages. And at the same time, there are others who begin to feel into the collective. So I think the answer is yes, is that we realize that if just because I'm rested uh, doesn't mean that there aren't other people who are suffering that still need to experience the fact that they are worthy of, of rest. And this is why I share this practice of yoga nidra, not just because of rest, but because it connects us to the inner teacher. It connects us to, um, you know, we can say uh, the flame within us that's internal that was there before we had a name. We can talk about this place that the Yoga Sutras talk about, right? Um, in Sutra 136, the Shoka Vajra Tishmati, that there is this untouched place within us that is beyond all sorrow, beyond all conditioning. And I believe that that place is the universal. That is the place that, and that's just my own thought, you know, mm-hmm. that that's the place that connects us all. And it's our disconnection from that that allows us to try to oppress other people, that allows mm-hmm. us to seek power, that allows us to abuse students, that allows us to do all of these things is because we're disconnected from that knowing. And the more that we can you know, access practices that allow us to you know, move into our discernment and to our knowing, um, I think the more we will see what has to change and we'll have the power, the capacity, and the courage to be able to move towards that as opposed to away from it because we're not affected by it. 
Wow. Can you say all of that again? <laughs> that was <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I'm going to have to listen to this back because that was really powerful. I mean, there's so many things, there's so many things we could say, but I'm very mindful of our, of our time and how generous you're being with, with your time. Yeah, I've got one more question, then I'm going to let Daniel, because I know he's going to have something he wants to ask. Do you feel that when we are healing ourselves and our practice of the yoga nidra, and I love in your book, you do this, this stuff around, you have like a case, I mean, you maybe have more than one, but I've only read parts of it so far, the case study where somebody's gone through their practice and then they do some self-inquiry afterwards. And there was one girl who's Scottish like myself, and she'd come from a really tough chaotic working class family I was like oh my god she's got my story here and the last question was you know about what was your family story about rest and I was like well we didn't rest that wasn't allowed in our house like you work hard and if you're not working hard it's just not good enough and if you're not tired at the end of it then you definitely didn't work hard enough and you know it's all about sacrifice sacrifice and you know it was very very unhealthy and I think that's a lot of people's story and um, I think you know when we heal ourselves, we heal everybody so I'm wondering you know, potentially, do you feel like yoga nidra as a practice has the potentiality to, to, to heal the world? Yes, I do. I don't think I would have spent the, the five months writing the book if I didn't believe that because it's, um, you know, we realize, first of all, in our own lineage about rest in those questions, right? And then we may even start to think, okay, well, what about people who were enslaved? What about people whose life depended on the fact that they were a work, seen as a workhorse? Mm. If they were seen resting, life could end, mm. right? And so you start to think about other people's situations. You start to think about the people whose land has been stolen, mm. right? And how, how the, the violence that happened with that, there was no resting. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to some degree, and, and there's a book um, called My Grandmother's Hands. Oh, um, I have it. Do you have it? Yeah. It's a brilliant, brilliant book. I highly recommend that anyone read this book, especially if you're a yoga teacher, because we all have trauma mm -hmm. in some form of an or another. We all have trauma. Mm -hmm. And so we all have a story also about what it means to rest. Mm -hmm. And usually that story is not a pretty story. So mm -hmm. it's starting, I think, with our generation um, because now we're, we're actually reclaiming our rest and then our children and our spouses get to see us resting. And they then also get to see the result of how are we after we practice yoga nidra. And they get to connect the dots of like, oh, you're practicing yoga nidra every day and there's something different about you, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that one, the way that it heals the world is that it awakens us mm -hmm. and it also awakens us to other people's suffering. And then we may be inspired to begin to protect space for those who are marginalized so that they also have a place to rest. Mm. We begin to share with people that we know would never rest on their own, a yoga nidra or a day of rest as a way to inspire. It doesn't mean that you have to be teaching, you know, a hundred people in order to be impactful. 
You just mm-hmm. need to share with one person that it's mm-hmm. okay to rest and that they are worthy of it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Tracy. I really couldn't. It's just, I'm so pleased we are all doing this work in our communities and making subtle changes and vast changes to very, very, you know, to, to, to people that are willing to trust us. Mm. It feels really powerful. It really does. Tracy, I want to know a little bit about how do you take care of yourself? <laughs> well, the first thing is I, I'm, I, I told you I'm on a one month uh, sabbatical from social media. That's one way. Um, and then the other thing that I did while I'm in my sabbatical and that I do often is I just go out into nature. So I, every day there's some connection with nature. I'm always observing the cycles of the day. I'm in connection with the moonrise, the moonset, the sunrise, the sunset. I'm in connection with the, the animals that inhabit the space that I'm living right now. Um, this morning, I had a connection with two deer, uh, a, a, a doe and, and a buck who were eating the apples that are just coming up on one of the trees. I'll have to send you the video because it's very cute. Um, And then I also go into deep nature for days at a time, right? Where I can really be off the screen of every screen, you know, take off my watch, not worry about time, practice yoga nidra as many times as I want to go walk barefoot in the woods and be able to just receive whatever's there that I normally wouldn't have a connection to because there's things that have to be done in the house. Even if I'm practicing yoga nidra, there's still a buzz of, you know, activity happening. Um, And so I just, I take care of myself by resting. I take care of myself by staying active, by being in nature, um, by being really conscious and aware of what I take in. You know, we were talking about media, right? Earlier, like the TV shows. What TV shows am I taking in? You know, I started watching this critically acclaimed show and it was so violent that I was just like, okay, I know this is going to be a good show, but I can't, I, I'm, I'm not going to pull that into my awareness. Um, and just by being with friends and people that I know that are, um, that are like-minded, um, that want to do good in the world, to also stay inspired um, by reading, uh, by also not looking away from what needs to be pointed out. You know, there's uh, one of my former teachers, Rod Stryker has just admitted that he had a relationship with a student. And so this is, even though he's not my teacher anymore and hasn't been for a couple of years, it's, these are not things that can be pushed to the side. They are things that need to be talked about so that there can be healing, right? There's no healing that's going to happen when you try to pretend things don't, didn't happen. So um, I think just staying aware and um, being responsible, that's a way to take care of myself too. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you for inspiring us today. Um, I, I really, I, I, I 
I've been affected by, you know, the 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 announcements of what Rod said about his teaching, and he was my teacher for about five or six years, and I think it's really worthy just to know how difficult it is to actually be processing what has happened when you know you put a lot of faith in individuals and they let you down and I think it's a telling tale for us all to actually put the faith in the practices not in the delivery not in the people that are delivering those practices because they will muck up at some point they are human beings I don't agree with what Rod's done I think you know he's had he's had two affairs Mm -hmm. and for me that feels uh it feels incorrect that he did that because he was very clear in his teaching time and time again that if that starts to happen you have to take a sabbatical away from that student teacher relationship and I feel the conduct of how the announcement was made feels very uncomfortable for me and doesn't feel truthful so Mm. Like you, mm. I've decided to step away from that teaching. And it feels cathartic to be able to say that now because I know in the past I have praised Rod for what he's done. And that praise was due at the time, but it feels incorrect for me to mm-hmm. be praising him at this time in the current situation. Mm. Well, I definitely uh, agree with you. And I think that, um, you know, these are things that we have to speak about. And it, you know, it's one of the things that I talk about in the book is the harm in yoga. Um, mm-hmm. Because some of the, uh, the teachings that I have received for many, many years have been from the Himalayan masters. And there is, you know, Swami Rama was one of those masters mm-hmm. who brought those teachings forward. And he was a- accused of sexual abuse from his students. And so these are things, again, like I said, that just can't be hidden um, because a lot of times we may talk about a teacher like, oh, I studied with this person. And now that we have these, these, um, I'm not going to say allegations, but the admission from Rod about what he did and the power differential, it needs to be named because, you know, people need, sometimes we don't look, right? We don't, we don't research. Um, or the information is being hidden uh, from us in some way because the organization might not be transparent. So I just think that um, people, um, again, let the teachings guide you to your inner teacher and that let the inner teacher also let you know when something might be off with the teacher and listen to that. And then I also want to say that as teachers, we also, to me, this is like a, a another mirror to just say, be really diligent about how you use your power as someone who is standing in front of the room teaching other people, mm-hmm. right? So just be really diligent, just be really aware. This is, I think, the value also of having a cohort, of having mm-hmm. a sangha, that is truthful with you to be able to, you know, check in and have people who can call you out and say, hey, you know, we were teaching together today and I noticed this thing, what's going on, right? And then to be able to process. I think when you don't have a sangha and you don't have peers 
of people who can call you out and you're only surrounded by people who are your students, mm. uh, it's a hard place to really get a true reflection of what is happening when you can't see it for yourself. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's important for teachers to have that. I was just gonna add as well, the, the level that some of these teachers get to where they're surrounded by adoration of students mm -hmm. as well because we you can have students who question you but actually when there isn't questions asked because of the power dynamic that's happening that's when you're in a place of serious trouble i would suggest <laughs> yeah i i i agree I was just reflecting that we always say, Daniel, um, a teacher needs to be only ever empowering the student to think for themselves. And, you know, I mean, from a therapeutic point of view, we're both therapists. We, you know, it's, it's always about pointing the way back to their inner wisdom and enabling mm -hmm. them to do that. And, and also noticing when people are getting caught up with you because it happens, it's normal. It's their, normally when people arrive in the kind of workspace that you and I would hold or many yoga teachers would hold or therapists, they're coming because they feel there's something lack or amiss or they're overburdened and they're looking for a place of support and some wisdom. And, and you know, you can, it's really, if you're not being held accountable yourself in some way or another, it's really easy to get lost in your ego, isn't it? So we, we kind of have to keep, I, when, when you told me about what happened with Rod, I really, my heart just filled for you because I know how, important he was to you and I, and I remember saying to you at the time said it seems when people get a platform they get lost very often you know if they're not got that self-inquiry if they're not checking in with somebody else they haven't got a mentor they haven't got somebody that's going to call them out they get lost and they become like these gods that think they can do anything um you know I I think it's good that the yoga world's getting shaken up and this stuff's falling out the tree because we need to see it we need to see what's there so that we can build a better, healthier, more honorable structure going forwards. And I think we can say that for many structures that are currently mm -hmm. falling and many yeah. things that are currently having uh, light shown on them. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's all the more reason why we have to be deeper into our practices so that we can be in that space of innovation and, mm -hmm. and visioning and seeing what's possible. Mm -hmm because in the structure, the structure tells you that this is the only thing that's possible because it's been done like this for so many years. And so I think um, just being able to have these kinds of conversations and to, to be with uh, people that are in your Sangha um, and even people who are outside of your Sangha because they have a different point of view is also really uh, necessary to be able to build uh, a, new, a new future for, for the world. Well, You're so an amazing right. message to leave people on. <laughs> Thank you. Would you like to, Tracy, do you just want to tell people how they can practice with you? Obviously, we've talked about the book, but actually you were you were pointing to some references before we came on. And maybe you'd like to share those with people so they can they can connect with you in different ways. Yeah, so um, if you have the book, Radiant Rest, or the audio book, um, there is a link in the book and on the audio uh, book where you can just download the practices so you can practice with me like that. Um, I have a um, 
community online. Uh, you can check that out at empoweredlifecircle.com uh, where I share just all kinds of teachings and practices um, with monthly themes. Um, and then I also have a, a course. It's really more of an experience of deep relaxation practices. It's five deep relaxation practices on uh, commune. So you can go to onecommune.com. And I think you can get that for free for like 14 days. Um, so I'm, I'm halfway through it. <laughs> <laughs> so you can, people like that one. So yeah, so it's free for 14 days. You can just sign up. And I think that's really it. I mean, you, um, I, my podcast, Radiant Rest, um, you can go to radiantrest.com and find out more about the book and the podcast, um, which is about everything sleeping, dreaming, resting uh, with many different amazing uh, teachers that I've been able to interview. Thank you so much for being here today, Tracy. Thank you for this gift you're giving to others. Um, I feel lighter just speaking to you <laughs> and speaking to you, Dawn, as well. Thank you so much both for just your time and, yeah, your honesty. Um, please do let us know if you enjoyed the podcast, um, if you have any feedback, if there's any way you'd like to us to improve it or subjects you'd like us to talk about. Um, next week, we are speaking to... Um, a wonderful yoga therapist called Evan Soroka, who um, has written a book called Yoga Therapy for Diabetes. And I think you know Evan. Tracy, I love right? Evan, yes. And I oh, love that book. We were roommates actually while we were both writing on one of Gary Kraftstow's retreats. And it's a wonderful book. She's an amazing resource. Well, I'm so pleased she's going to be here next week. And yeah, really looking forward to that conversation. So until next time, thank you so much. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, Dawn. And thank you for listening. Thank you so much.